You are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, sponsored by Natural Stacks. If you're into biohacking, performance, or getting more out of life, this is the show for you. For more on building optimal performance, check out OptimalPerformance.com. You were looking for a way to change your life. You got it. I kind of think in some ways, selfishly, that it should remain a secret because it is such an advantage. Natural Stack. Start optimizing your mental and physical performance. Optimize yourself. All right. Happy Thursday, all you optimal performers. Welcome to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Muncy, and today we have a really special episode for you. Uh, if you're watching on video, you see we've got two uh, rather large gentlemen sharing the screen. Um, I'm going to let these guys introduce themselves. So, gentlemen, uh, take it away. Alex Oliver, uh, former Navy SEAL, 21 years in, and uh, now co-owner with this guy, uh, Virginia High Performance. Yeah, we'll keep it abbreviated. I'm Jeff Nichols. Uh, I know. I guess fortunately, unfortunately, I didn't retire. I, I took 11 years and kind of crammed it in. You know, I did 11 years as a SEAL. Uh, again, the genesis of this place, our performance center in Virginia Beach, we'll, we'll uncover that a bit, but. You know, essentially the recovery and performance side we brought into the civilian world really to help because this is our home, Virginia Beach. We have kids, uh, athletics here, Paramount, and we want to expose, we say young athletes, 20-year-old athletes are young to us. So we all the athletes here in Hampton Roads, we want to expose them to something the right way in the appropriate doses that's gender-specific and sport-specific. But, um, yeah, we just uh, – really brief background there. <laughs> yeah. So this is going to be a really cool episode for our, for everybody listening. We're going to get into uh, all of the, the physical performance stuff that um, that these guys are, are so proficient in and that we love to talk about. Um, but one of the main reasons that we have these guys on the show is to talk about uh, an alternative treatment for concussions that these guys have stumbled upon um, through their experience. And, and that is float tanks and, and sensory deprivation. Um, so before we get into that, a little bit of housekeeping, as always go to optimalperformance.com. You can see the video version of this along with show notes and links and resources to all the stuff that we talk about. So if these guys mention anything that's worth pursuing, we'll have a link to that. So guys, if you, if you have something that comes up, make sure you just, we'll, we'll get together afterwards and we'll send that link out. Um, and of course, head over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Let us know how much you like the show. Um, so with that guys, let's dig in. Tell us how you guys became experts on, uh, post concussion, uh, recovery. Jump into history. Yeah. Um, a little bit of, uh, history and then, uh, I'll, I'll get into when we first started dealing with concussion stuff, but I had been, uh, I first started doing uh, sensory deprivation or, or floating in, uh, 1994. And it was uh, when I was getting ready to uh, uh, go into SEAL training at Bud's. And uh, I had heard about this stuff from a, a Russian hockey player, and they had been using it. Um, and, of course, I was looking for any advantage I could get performance-wise, recovery-wise, uh, while I was going through Bud's. Um, so I started using it, and uh, I was seeing effects probably within the first few weeks uh, in, in recovery but also mental performance. Uh, fast forward um, to about 2012, 
11. Yeah. We had this idea, right. But we couldn't really run it to fruition. It's kind of started about 2009, but we really couldn't run it to fruition until about 2012. Yeah. So we first started using the tanks, uh, with the team that Jeff and I were at. Um, we got them in there just for the recovery stuff. Uh, one day had, a uh, one of the guys there come in and, uh, just wanted to hear about it and try it out. And he did. He came back the next day, did it again, asked a few more questions. Finally, the third day in a row, he came in. He said, hey, Ollie, uh, I got to tell you a little bit about my history. It was like, hey, three years ago, I got blown up uh, from an IED, uh, been on pain meds and trying to deal with my headaches for the last three years. Every single day, constant. They never go away. And he's like, uh I heard about you guys using these float tanks, came, tried it out that first day, went home. I didn't have a headache. He said, uh, the next day I decided when I woke up, I wasn't going to take my pain meds because my head wasn't hurting. So he came in and floated again. So the third day he came in, this is the first time he had told me anything about his injuries and stuff and what he's been dealing with. And, uh, that third day goes, Hey, look, I've done this twice now. He's like, this is the first time in three years I haven't had any take any pain meds and my head doesn't hurt. And I was kind of like, wow, this, this is big. You know, this, this can be pretty revolutionary here if we can crack the code on this, so to speak. Um, so he continued doing it. And, uh, even though I've been out for, uh, almost a year now, um, at least the time that I was, I was there, he was off his pain meds and no longer feeling uh, long-term effects from his TBI. Um, and the only thing, he told me, the only thing I've changed in my life was that I floated in those sensory deprivation tanks these last two days. So we started putting more guys inside there that had you know, plenty, plenty of guys that we were working with had TBIs, whether it's from blast overpressure or from impact or both. And, um, Everybody that we were putting in there was having some kind of positive effect. Some guys, the pain didn't stay away. Some guys, they had to do it every day. Some guys, it was once a week. Um, some guys, that you know, uh, it was enough to get them off their pain meds, where the pain became tolerable, where they didn't have to take painkillers or other things. Um, they seemed to be getting better, and it was huge for our guys um, and it was also good for their families because they had this less stress and less impact in their family life. And that made a whole lot of things better for them in the long run. That's, that's really fascinating. And I just want to clarify a few things for, for some folks who may not understand, uh, TBI traumatic brain injury, right? Right. Yes. Okay. And then I guess for those of us who haven't experienced, um, those types of concussions that you're talking about, can you run down for us? the difference in uh, concussions from blast or percussion versus like what were you hear about in the NFL with, with impact. Um, and then also you, you mentioned being on pain medications, having these headaches daily. Again, for those of us who haven't experienced that, what is the reality of that five, 10 years down the road untreated? Yeah, it's, it's a super loaded question as you're <laughs> alluding to, and, it, and it's very different from individual to individual, you know, there, there's always a manifestation due to concussion, whether it's through head-on-head collision and, say, football, right? 
we think is we think of that head-on-head concussion to be a very quick event. It is, although it is very quick, but when you're talking about an explosion where that brassance is is the speed of sound or quicker, right? Depending on the size or what they make of the explosive, those are micro traumas, but they're incredibly violent. So they kind of are the same. But the thing is, is when you deal with a very traumatic blow to the head, head on head, because that time period compared to, to an explosion is much longer, that manifestation tends to show up a little bit quicker, right? Well, and what I mean by manifestation is slurred speech, loss of consciousness, loss of coordination. Whereas like when you're dealing with a shooting a heavy gun or an explosion, it may not show itself till a bit later on, which is like what the NFL protocol is, they don't. The, the rule is essentially in concussion protocols, they don't actually test for symptoms till five minutes after the impact. That with the, the clock starts at impact at the site, and then five minutes later, that's when they test because they, they, they say that sometimes they'll show themselves up because what happens is adrenaline goes up, the adrenal gland gets very heightened, um, that fight or flight kicks in, and we are an autopilot, especially a highly trained athlete. Um, and then they begin to show themselves. Um, and that's where the trauma. So, they're they're the same in terms of the effect of you know the the effect kind of can be loss of sleep headaches slurred uh, slurred speech loss of coordination loss of uh, concentration all, uh, memory memory loss anger all these sort of agitation they all can happen um, but they're very different now if you took like a menu of a bunch of things that could happen they, they kind of all can happen at different times and place but they, they just you just have to be aware that there is a cause, which is the blow to the head or explosion. There is going to be an effect if you've been concussed. Always, always an effect. It never just doesn't happen. There's different degrees of it, but it never just doesn't happen. And that's something that we as coaches and scientists and physiologists have to understand that because this person, just because they didn't lose consciousness, doesn't mean that there's not going to be an effect from it. And the thing with the brain is because it's all nerves and soft tissue – it's res- it can last and last and last uh, unless you can reset that sort of that neurological sort of point A brain to contraction of muscle or whatever it is. We, we, the goal is to reset that. Um, and that's kind of that was our thinking behind. Well, initially, we didn't we, we, we went down the float tanks for recovery, physical recovery. Mm-hmm. What we encountered was that there was something greater than that. Then we had to prove it. And then it was our idea to get people that were much smarter than us with the brain and pose the same questions to them. Hey, we're having these effects. Is there a link? And if there is a link, how do we go about substantiating it? So, yeah. So can you guys elaborate on that, on proving it? Like now that you've had people just, smarter. Just a second there. Yeah. One thing I want, I want to clear too on the concussion of the, of the types was the, the impact and blast over pressure. So with impact like football, you, you may may bruise or cause trauma to, to one or maybe two on the opposite side of the brain from the impact, depending on how much that brain rattles around inside the skull. With blast over pressure, that blast wave goes through all the tissue of the brain. So you potentially bruise the entire brain, the whole organ. Okay, so that that's pretty... Uh, at least for guys in the military, it, it's a su- substantial to to understand that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, and that's and that's because of the speed. You think of sound and the wavelength, 
right? Right. An NFL impact is pretty big wave sine wave, whereas blast is really fast. So, um, and then uh, to your next question, how do we prove it and kind of allow, well, it's, it's very amoebous. We, we at first thought it would be something very sim- simple to do, right? Like, well, how, well, an EKG in salt water is very difficult, right? Electronics and salt water don't like each other. So we had to find a, an organization not willing to divulge what we were trying to do to create hardware for us to wear in that, that high, high salinity environment to read essentially what's going on in the brain in this very relaxed, natural, lack of a term, natural state. That took a while. It took a while to make the product. It took a while to write protocol on, okay, now we have the device. What are we seeing in the brain? And then we have this data. We have to interpret the data and then clearly define what this data means. It was very, you know, from our side, we, we were very lucky because the civilian spearheading this is brilliant. Right, we were the active duty side. We have still there, brilliant man that had his contacts that we were able to reach out to. Um, it took a while. Yes, we were able to basically, for lack of a better term, prove, uh, substantiate the data, and then write protocol to improve these individuals based off of their their exposure or their how their symptoms are. And miss anything? Um, no, I think, I think you hit that pretty good. Um, but to get into, like Jeff was saying, proving things was hard. Um, but you know, when you're dealing with, with guys that you work with day in and day out, or you've been on the battlefield with, there's a certain amount of trust that comes in. And when these guys say, Hey, I've been on pain meds for years and that's the only thing I train I've done, I've changed in my life. And now I don't have to take pain meds. From coming from a guy like that, to me, that that's gospel. Right. You know, uh, when we bring the scientists in and they start, you know, uh, getting in the weeds, um, you know, th- they see that as well. Right. Now, we've done a lot of guys have gone up and done stuff with Nico uh, up in Maryland, trying to uh, figure out what's going on with guys' brains after combat, after war, after TBIs, and all this stuff. Um, they've done a lot of things. Uh, the company that we work pretty much hand in hand with developing that was uh, advanced brain monitoring out of Carlsbad, California. Um, yeah, they're, they're the hardware company company is advanced brain monitoring. Okay. We had some really brilliant people, um, with DARPA specifically. Um, and then, one of the sports scientists, a close friend of ours, is John Sullivan. He's a sports scientist for the Patriots, for European soccer, for Red. You name it. You name it. He's been the guy. Either he's written out algorithms for these devices, or he's observed the brain. So we we had this population of people that needed some help. We were able to bring in the right company to develop the technology with a population that we keep getting data points, and then we got people knowing that hey, we're not in the business for sharing nor were they in the business of divulging because they're good people that wanted to help. And it, it, it ultimately does. It helps their business and practice. Um, and that's good. But it, we just we're really fortunate and blessed to be in that position to bring in the right team to go down that road with us. Yeah. It sounds like you guys really got linked up with some good people. 
is there, I guess, can you guys elaborate on, on what's actually going on, um, to heal the brain and that soft tissue and those nerves in the float tank? Yeah. So one of the things, um, we, we, we came to, to learn and was explained to us was, um, when you get, when you have that scarring on the brain, right. From, uh, uh, from your concussions, you know, it's, it's big with the NFL and, and NHL right now, you know, studying these, uh, these veteran players, you know, after they pass or whatever, you know, they, if they donate their brains to science, right. And we see all this scarring that's inside there. Um, well, that scarring becomes kind of like a, like a dam of all your neural highways inside the brain. Right. And, or, or the, the bridge is out, so to speak. Right. Well, <clears throat> some of the things that, that, we found with the tanks was uh, these guys that had uh, scarring or, or memory losses uh, or, or just trouble remembering things in general. Um, the more they did it, right? When you get inside the flotation tank, it's a couple different things happen while you're in there. One, you either go into a state of complete relaxation for basically the first time since you've been out of the womb and, or two, uh, you can get hyper-focused, right? You can focus like a laser beam on problem solving or, or something like that. Um, so <clears throat> for some of the guys, when we had them in there, it was it became almost like a, a tool to, hey, I want you to focus on this, whether it was a, a memory or an idea or a subject or something like that, things that they were having trouble getting around. Uh, and what we found uh, through the help of some of these scientists was that <clears throat> there is a, an attribute to accelerated learning while you're inside the tank. So if you think about taking all your senses away or you just take one away, right? Usually the others become heightened, yeah. right? Well, you get in this tank for a short amount of time, an hour or so, and you take all the senses away. Now the brain's kind of just left with itself and, and what to do. And it either shuts down into complete relaxation and heals or recovers, or it's, it starts figuring some things out with uh, becoming hyper-focused. So we got these blocked neural pathways in the brain, right? Those pathways, the information travels so fast down those. Now the bridge is out, okay? When we start recalling things, um, we start using other neural highways, right? They're basically like secondary roads, Okay, information can still get through there and get around the, the the bridge that's out. Okay, but it takes a long it takes a, a lot longer. It's right? not efficient. We're not right. familiar with it, right? But the more we start using those pathways, the faster they become. The more used they become, the more they become primary roads again or primary highways. Now we're circumventing that uh, the bridge that's out by the scar, right? And we're able to start recalling things or remembering things or thinking faster, right? You get blasted or, or concussed. Um, sometimes you're not thinking as fast, right? So we started trying to get guys in as fast as we could into the tanks once they had a, a TBI or an impact concussion. And <clears throat> fortunately I wasn't able to stay on the, on the project uh, much longer after that because I was getting out. But um, what we saw in a short period of time uh, from guys that, that we're, we're working with for our, our rehab and stuff was typically the guys were coming back from symptoms of concussion faster. 
The sooner we got them into a tank, the sooner they got better. And these are guys that are seeing hundreds and hundreds of concussions from impact and blast overpressure every year, you know, from guys that are, you know, giving them exactly the details of what's going on, their symptoms and everything. They're not trying to hide anything because they want to get back out and play sooner. You know what I mean? Right. Um, So in that short amount of time we started doing that, we were seeing results of guys coming back from that concussion much quicker than if they weren't floating. Yeah, we take we really take for granted how much information our brain is processing. I think that's what we got we realized early we we didn't realize early on. We realized even standing up, that neural stimulus to stand, right? When you're when someone's concussed, we lose it a bit. So whether it's information of us looking at each other on a computer screen, our phone is ringing, gravity. We don't we don't take in context of gravity anymore. Our brain has already adapted to it. All these things, speaking, uh, eating, digesting food, all those sort of things, our brain is constantly uh, is, is constantly ciphering that data. Now you jump into a float tank where you can't see, can't hear, can't taste, can't smell, and quite frankly, gravity has been removed. The stimulus is gone. So what we end up seeing is that once you remove status or, or stimulus in a healthy environment, we're taking because you start removing stimulus and pain meds, you remove stimulus and sleep aids. You remove stimulus, right? But it doesn't, it's a band-aid over a bullet wound. If you can holistically remove stimulus, sleep kind of does it, but we're still inputting data of gravity and position. Temperature. And temperature, all those sort of things. When you remove temperature regulation and all those sort of things in a float tank, what your brain does is goes, and then it can start rerouting. Right. You can learn. It can heal. So we talk about in REM sleep where you get the serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine, those big release growth hormone, insulin like growth factor, um, all these sort of things that are neurologically linked to heal and to recover. When you're not getting into deep sleep and these points of rest, you're not getting those dumps of hormones, especially like in our case for both of us, our pituitary gland has been destroyed or at least a sac around it. So we don't have normal functioning pituitary glands. My body doesn't produce testosterone, so I have to take it once a week, right? So what we're having to do is, okay, in a person before, but I went, he and I both went for years and years and years and years of trauma. Now, if we can head this off, if we can start help mitigating some of that trauma early on so the brain can, what we say here is down, we want, we want central nervous system down regulation. If we can down regulate the brain, then we can continue to get normal production of serotonin, norepinephrine, IGF-1, testosterone, all these sort of things that are crucial for neurological repair and recovery. And so that's what we were starting. Unfortunately, the population that we were using and honor using it are already at like, in our case, like trauma, trauma, trauma. Right. You know, so it it, it is, it really is a fantastic device and, and, it's not very widespread. So that's going to be my next question is with the, the data that you have is, is on a population who has experienced significant trauma. Is there data or are there plans to get data on a population who is maybe what you would consider normal or, or normal functioning? Well, it's, I think that there should be. Now, I know that in Europe it's widespread and it's utilized. And but against Europe, Europe uses really puts a, a 
like they hold science to a much different esteem than we do here in the U.S. In the U.S., it really focus has been coaching first, science second. And, and the way, the way again, I'll pick on them, the way that the NFL and everyone works is business, 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 because we know that this person only has 2.3 years in the NFL, and we're just going to replace them the next NFL combine kind of thing. They have yet to put a priority on the people, like it or not. I mean, it, because in Europe, where concussion became such an issue in European football and soccer, they have head, they've headed it off and almost, compared to the NFL, almost eliminated the trauma entirely through real, real concussion protocol, not like this, this buzzword that the NFL throws out, right? right. So like it or not, NFL isn't doing anything anything to really help its players. They're just trying to say, hey, we got a handle on it internally. If you really want to get a handle on it, you have to get it early and often. And European soccer has done that specifically because of John Solomon. He was the subject matter expert brought in early on where the NFL told him to shut up. Well, European football was like, hey, can you help us? And he's like, absolutely. And now look at it. Like they take really take care of their players. What are they doing that's working that the NFL isn't? Well, I, I think with just again, exactly what Alex is. Here's the thing: it, it, the three of us can sit here and have a discussion about what happens in trauma. The beautiful thing is, is that it's understandable. If someone gets a concussion and they know, other than hey, you're going to experience symptoms. Like if that's all they know is symptoms, there's no resolution. If you say, hey, you've had a trauma. That trauma is, you know, even in layman's terms, it does this to your brain. Well, there again, it's, it's ignorant for us to say, anybody to say, well, the brain's complex. We couldn't possibly understand it. Bull. We do understand it. And we do understand it's a different mechanism than the muscle. But the, again, exactly what Alex is saying is like when there's a damage, there's a dam. That dam is maybe permanent, but we can get around it. We can neurologically reset. And again, like places like, uh, a very close friend of ours is getting his PhD at the Center for Brain Health in Dallas. And that's exactly what they're doing. Is they're learning how to reroute that. So um, and they've already implemented that in Europe. So are there other ways or what other ways are there to reroute it besides the the float tanks, sensory deprivation? The biggest thing that that I would say is it's rest. It's recovery and and rest. Um and that all comes back in once again, at least for me, and, and especially on a personal level, I'm sure Jeff's the same way, was we didn't sleep well for years. I mean, like over a decade, I was averaging about four hours of sleep per day, night, whatever you want to say. That's when I was like out sleeping. Um, other than that, just couldn't sleep for whatever the reasons may be, whether, you know, maybe it's pain. I just got a lot of stuff on my mind or, you know, I was on a deployment, whatever it is. Right. Um, again, we got the, 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 uh, flotation tanks just for muscle recovery. That was its initial, uh, value. That's what we brought it in for. And it was the other guys coming to us on their own going, Hey, tell me more about this thing because I slept, I usually sleep about four hours of sleep every night and guys are coming in going, I slept eight or nine hours last night. I was like, really? And the more guys kept saying, I was, again, it was like, Hey, we're on to something else here. Let's figure it out. You know? And what we found was you could put a guy in there for an hour 
and let them relax in, inside the tank. And each night, well, the first night, you usually get about eight or nine hours of sleep, solid sleep. And then we'd see a diminishing but positive effect still for the next four days, five days maybe, uh, about an hour less sleep every night. And so we figured if we could get the guys in there a couple times a week, you know, on a Monday, Thursday, Tuesday, Friday, something to get them through the weekend, they're getting good sleep, right? And when they started getting good sleep, performance started happening. Not just, you know, uh, at work, whether it was shooting guns, but uh, lift, you know, if it was lifting or if it was whatever it is. Everything is like, you know, sex drive, appetite, all those sort of things, you know, that, that was a big thing. And you start getting suppression of those, you know, again, serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine, testosterone, right? Like that was what, and what we got to was this is like when we started regu- like anything else, when, when you started getting them in the float tanks once or twice a week, they themselves created a routine around that environment. And then they were able to reduplicate, re- reproduce in some fashion, not to quite that degree. It was like, well, now I can't get exactly the same sort of results, but once I understand rest and breathing and, and diaphragmatic breathing and all these sort of things, now I can duplicate that sort of thing if I'm stressed out at home. Now I may not get the quick, complete relaxation, but the tumultuous lifestyle of, of the special forces community or the, or the professional athlete, like it's not feasible to understand. We understand it's not feasible to travel the country with a float tank. But again, once you understand the mechanism, just like what you're saying, if you understand the mechanism of what's going on, well, can we reproduce that mechanism outside of a float tank? You absolutely can. I just spent last two weeks ago with the Pittsburgh Pirates baseball organization doing and talking exactly about, hey, how do you establish routine in your lifestyle to create nervous system, central nervous system downregulation? And a lot of the results was from this, this fantastic float tank. It's like it, it's the perfect situation. We create a routine within that. They're like, well, how, what percentage of this sort of routine in this float tank can I take to a hot, steamy shower on the road in a hotel? Like, it's doable, right? And then when you get back to your home, then maybe you plug yourself back in the matrix and, and just completely uh, reset the nervous system to continue to – and then the idea is you do it and how long can I prolong the benefits? Yeah. And that, that was the key because – Yes, in a perfect situation, we could we he and I were jumping in the float tank every single day for weeks, but it's not it, it, understand it's not sustainable, right? It's not feasible. It's not realistic, right? So how do we prolong that? And it's 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 when you start understanding the mechanism. Yeah, and there's I know that there's there's uh, NFL teams out there that are using float tanks, and uh, I'm, I, mean, I don't know if we can say which ones or, or whatever, but I know that they've gotten results out of them. But I also am pretty sure that they're not using them for uh, concussion protocol, which is something the that... The NFL won't let them touch that. Which is something, I, you know, with dealing with uh, the folks up at NICO, and I know that they had some kind of thing going on with the NFL potentially about concussion stuff from all the data they were getting from our guys going up there with brain injuries. Um, I don't know where that is at, but I do know that there's teams using them, but I think they're just using them for recovery. And my big thing would be get in there and use them for a concussion protocol. And, uh, you know, the couple guys right here that got a, a lot of experience in there with concussions and using the float tanks and, and how to, like Jeff was saying, regulate that 
and create a pattern for that, right? I can say I've probably seen about 200 special forces operators get in those tanks. And out of those 200, they've all had some kind of banged up injury. They've all had some kind of TBI. Uh, only one of those guys has ever told me, I didn't really feel like I got anything out of it. He didn't wow. feel anything wow. negative, but he just said he didn't feel any like he got anything out of it. And he was a very young guy, hadn't been doing the job very long. So his exposure to, to the things we see in combat maybe was lower. I, I'm not sure. But out of 200, to only have one say he didn't see some kind of positive effect from that, you know. That's an incredible, uh, you know, ratio. Jeff, you mentioned talking to the pirates and sharing some things, actionable items that people can, you know, em- employ in their daily lives if they can't float all the time. Are there any of those that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, you know, and, and this, again, this, a lot of this was spurned on from the floating, right? Because I, I wanted it to be reproducible. And what we found is that um, it's the nervous system, the brain, the spine, the nerves, okay? Once you have an understanding of that mechanism, how do we, how do we interact with it to the benefit of our performance or recovery? And this is a real simple way. Um, once you learn the process and why, so again, if you think about your heart, for example, or any of your muscles, you have one nerve intervention, right? From your brain out to your spine, even your, your SA node for your heart basically is one, one, one in, one out, right? That's what regulates heart rate. Well, your, your diaphragm and your stomach, right? Your stomach has seven, right? So when anytime you experience stress, good or bad, indigestion, frequent reurination, diarrhea, uh, uh, nausea, vomiting, all these sort of things, they're uh, butterflies, they're all stomach related. Okay. It's, it's the first precursor for stress in management. And what do we do? We hyperventilate, we begin to yawn, our body begins to try to self-regulate these things. And so that was the first thing, understanding how powerful the diaphragm is, how, how powerful diaphragmatic breathing is and how to really, really do it. Cause how many times as athletes, your coach goes, take three deep breaths. But if you explain the mechanism, which nobody does, right, that's a super powerful thing. And then for me, what I had done is taking that, taking that mechanism to something that I love, that I was instantly putting me in the flow state, the zone, and it was my own son. So my son growing up as a child, I'd always put Vicks VapoRub on him, so eucalyptus. And when I was gone so much, I'd come home and I could smell him, right? It really put me in a very relaxed, calming state, and I didn't know it. Right. There's always a cause and effect. That was my effect. So then I started taking the eucalyptus to start eliciting that sort of nervous system down regulation. So I travel eucalyptus oil, something it could be lavender, it could be anything, right? It could be anything that you enjoy, right? In accompanied with diaphragmatic breathing, um, I'll put it in conjunction when I travel with a hot shower. So I can, again, Bruce Lee's thing was he would take a steamy shower and so he could see the steam he would inhale and exhale. Right. So it forces a, a point of focus of breathing rather than just breathing. So I, I combined a bunch of things that really complement one another. Again, it's no different. It's Pavlovian. Right. He didn't Pavlov didn't actually use a bell, but he used other mechanisms to elicit that sort of digestion response in animals. So it's through the vagus nerve that sits at the base of the skull that talks directly to the stomach and diaphragm. So what I all I've done is. I've created a Pavlovian response. So, and it's no different than if somebody reads all the time before they go to bed, they hop on a plane or they go to their office, they start reading, they instantly get sleepy. 
They created a conditioned response. What we can do in a very healthy way, whether it's the taste of your toothpaste, it's eucalyptus oil, it's a hot shower, it's something you create a routine before bed because, and Alex hit it perfectly, the greatest performance enhancing drug on the planet is sleep, period. No, it's, it's not, it's earth shattering information, right? Sleep is king. That's what it is, I do. I have created a Pavlovian response prior to me sleeping. And I am out like a light every night. And it was the same condition as him is I was getting three hours of sleep every night for weeks, months, years. Right. And it, it, there is a cause. Right. And I wasn't quite sure what the cause was, but the effect was no libido, no appetite, stressed, anger, all the pain, all these things. Right. And I was trying to take pain meds, sleep meds, all this stuff, but really fixing the issue. Now, when I'm stressed out, I turn to eucalyptus or breathing or certain stretching. I say not traditional stretching stuff, but really simple stuff you can do in a hotel room or at home or whatever it is. So the long answer or long, or very short answer, to very long, I guess, answer that I was doing is I created a Pavlovian response prior to bed. I have a bedtime routine that I stick to and I can adhere to even on the road. Yeah, I, I like that. And I, I actually, um, I, and I told you this in communication before we, actually recorded this podcast, but I have notes from seeing you speak this summer, um, down in Columbia at Sorenex's summer strong. And in my notes, when you spoke there, I actually wrote down where you said, use patterning to create unconscious competence in your CNS. Um, you know, and an example of that is repetitions in the weight room or obviously with you guys, we can't ignore your background, uh, right. in, in the seals. I mean, how much of your, learning the value of that conditioned response do you attribute to your background in military service or training it's it's important i think because what whether it's high sport or the seal community is what we've come accustomed to is stress inoculation right either you have the the means the mechanism or you it's been matured like alex was he was my mentor you know and and that we were very in tune in terms of like what our goals were and professional goals. And it was, he, he mentored and fostered that idea, that aggression, but also take time away. Um, in the community we grow up in, it is, we're inoculated from day one. It's stress, stress, stress. It's, it's selection. Then you train. Let's see who can handle the stress. Once you've handled the stress, then we train and either you again have a good mentor that fosters that idea or you, there are you sometimes you don't. So stress inoculation is the big thing. And whether or not I'm predisposed to handling stress, I, w- I would think that I probably am. But at the same time, it kept, it caught up to me. Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. And it's you know we're always asking you know our, our soldiers or especially the SF guys. It's it's how much can you take? And the guys are just so good at taking so much. You know. Someone like me, it may take, you know, 18 years for it to finally break down, right? And I'm like, Jesus, I need to figure something out because shit ain't right, Right. all right? But, uh, you know, some guys, it it might be a a shorter amount of time. might be one deployment for a guy or one instant in combat might might be done. Everybody has their breaking point. Everybody. Yes. You know, so it's, it's the ability to manage that stress. And the best way that I've found at least to manage that stress is to get good sleep. And the biggest thing that we took away from the tanks was that it helped people sleep. Bottom line, the guys that 
you know, are able to handle the most amount of stress and still perform at a very high level successfully every single time, right? Get those guys to sleep. And once you said, hey, you know, here's the SEALs, right? Well, let's just say the top 1% of warrior athletes in the world, right? How do you make those guys better at what they are? They're already top 1%, right? It's not, it's not like, hey, let's make a harder workout because that's just silly, yeah. right? right? It's, it's, and it's the same in high sport. And it's actually become the same thing in youth athletics because you're not going to get a 12-year-old boy to back squat 300 pounds typically. But we can train them positionally how to manage stress and all these sort of things. Right. And, that, and that's the key is, is we, I don't know, we are really good at handling stress, but all that means is we just can a, we just basically have a bigger trough to hold it. At some point that trough gets full. And, but when we hit rock bottom game over, like it, it our body is just like, Hey man, that's enough. I've been giving you signs and symptoms for the last 15 years <laughs> to knock it off, but you just kept piling it on. So, so I mean, for, for our listeners who want, to do more, to be more, um, but maybe aren't, they don't have the trough or the reservoir to, to withstand things maybe that a special forces guy does. How can we make that trough bigger? I know you said sleep is a big one, but is, is there anything else? I think you have to, oh, I think one thing you want to do, and it's something that, that Jeff employed into our athletes, no matter what their age, maybe nine years old or 10 years old is, is, We've incorporated recovery, the word of recovery, word of recovery to not be a bad word, right? We don't want to assimilate it with rehab, right? It was one thing we learned when we were helping develop this program for, for, the, uh, for the military was rehab became a bad word. Guys didn't want to be labeled as being broke, right? So, but we need to recover the body, and it starts as, me, as soon as you're done working out. So our workouts became, uh, you know, recovery became part of the workout. As soon as you're done lifting your weights, if you're lifting weights that day, you did something to recover the body or you did something to recover the mind, right? You may not float every day, but maybe you just get on a foam roller or there's all these different things to do when it comes to recovery. But I think that's probably the most important thing when it comes to working out or, or trying to be in shape is make sure you recover your body every single time that you put it under stress. Yeah, if you, if you think of your brain or nervous system as an RPM needle, right, <clears throat> let's say 9,000 is kind of red line. Like guys like us and professional athletes, really athletes in general, are really good at getting to nine, getting the needle to nine. The problem is, is when you start setting those neural pathways of always being at nine, homeostasis, which is usually 1,000, ends up being at three, right? We all know if you put your car up on blocks and just rev your car at 3,000 RPM for a little while, that's not a problem. If you do that for 10 years or three years or whatever anecdote, you want anecdotal sort of evidence you want to use as a car, that's a problem, right? Because all you're ever going to do is get to nine. Yeah. You never come back down. So the brain is like we're really good as athletes and in the military of getting a nine, getting a nine, getting that 9,000 RPM. But that's why we can't sleep. We can't get that needle back down to homeostasis. The thing is, is all those chemical releases all happen in homeostasis and REM sleep. We never get there. We never really, again, people are like, well, I, I do great on six hours of sleep. Yeah. Imagine how good you'd be doing on nine. <laughs> so that's the thing is like, we're, we're so, the human body is so fantastic. It's beautiful and brilliant. Yes. We can endure these ridiculous loads. Cause I always be like, well, what about so-and-so he, he smoked six packs a day and lived till he's 95. 
They're outliers because of the brilliance and beauty of the human body. That's not the norm. Imagine if that individual didn't do that. Right. So it's it. we're past the point of being ignorant to those outliers because they're always going to be. But the reality is, is the 99 percentile of humans really will do better, high-functioning fun- high individuals in this lane. It's the bell curve. We're best here, not on the outside. So now we compete, we can swing either way, highs and lows, right? Again, that's the flow state. That's that, that's that, that's we know the zone. But again, it's it's routine. It's recovery. It's not a buzzword. It's really again, it's it's trying to define fitness. Very difficult to do. Define recovery. Equally difficult to do because it takes individual attention. Because what works for him may not work for me. Well, I need to evaluate. Again, if all three of us were sick and went to the doctor's office. Based off of a short conversation, they ethically and legally can't prescribe us the same sort of regress recovery. They have to do individual assessments. Okay, It's the same idea here. We can do it as a group. as we can, we can do an analysis of a team. But based off of that assessment, we have to program recovery and performance and training and diet very differently. So it, it, it's, it's a very broad question, but yeah. it takes individual attention. Okay. One more question for you guys. Earlier, you mentioned um, float tanks and sensory deprivation can be an, an accelerated learning tool. Um, are there any other accelerated learning tools that you guys have experience with? No, I mean, not not to this degree. Okay. Because here, here, here's here, here's why. There are you know you can when people are in a high state of learning, it's not a coincidence. It's like, is it a quiet place? Is it a certain tone of music? Is it a certain environment? Yes. Now the extreme is let's downregulate all those the senses. Let's put them in a position that they can learn. And this is why, just like we typically, <laughs> they say you know a cheetah doesn't stretch before he runs after gazelle. Different animal, okay? Different <laughs> beast. People do a warm up before they move, and they are trying to physically prepare their body to endure that stress. Right? The brain is the exact same way. We don't see it necessarily as a preparation, but every single time before Derek Jeter stepped in the box, he did the same thing. Every single time before uh, LeBron James shoots a free throw, it is the same thing. Their preparation is the same. Okay. No different when accelerated learning. If you, if you prepare your brain to receive data, you will receive more data. Okay. Again, the, the human brain runs entirely off glucose. Kids that go to school without eating don't have the glucose to run neurofunction, which is why learning is impaired on an empty stomach, right? There's all these sort of things that we know happen, but you're like, oh, I don't eat breakfast. That's the biggest thing with our athletes coming in here. We're like, if I had a dollar for every time I asked my athletes or we asked our athletes if they've eaten, we wouldn't even take their money. We'd be able to run the facility without just asking that question because they're always saying no, Right. On that, you cannot learn if you don't have the function to learn. You don't prepare your brain. You don't fuel the brain. You don't do any of those sort of things. Same with sleep. How it's not? It's very difficult to sleep when you're really hungry. I'm not saying eat a big meal before you go to bed, but the point is, is prepare the brain to learn. It doesn't. It's not by chance. There are again, there are outliers, right? Of course, there are outliers. They're just they're stimulating on coffee or whatever it is. But if you do not prepare the brain to receive data. You will not receive data. And I think, I think too, going back with the uh, 
the sensory deprivation tank, you know, it's original term because that's what it did, right? All the senses are there to provide that information, that data for the brain to process. And it wants to constantly process. So like Jeff said earlier, it's, you're processing data in your sleep, right? Cold side of the pillow, you flip your pillow over, you're still asleep, but your, your brain's processing data, right? The ceiling fan blowing a breeze on you, it's getting that sounds in the middle of the night. It's picking it up, might not wake you up, but your brain is processing that. Get into something where you can truly take away those senses, right? And now let's say we just open one up, right? Let's say you can put a speaker inside the tank, right? And maybe you're you're putting information in there like you're trying to learn a language or maybe you're, you're, you're something else that's audio uh, connected to, to learning, right? Now your brain is only using that one sense. It's processing 100% of that data coming in. And it's going to retain it for much longer. If I could take, you know, uh, a, a new player on some team, right, on a team, and just go, okay, hey, we're going to put you in the in the tank for this many weeks. Now that you're with the team, and here's the playbooks, right? And we just had a screen in there that would visually shuffle these uh, these plays through, like a rolodex, right? He would learn those plays so much faster than just sitting there and, and looking at reading him in his living room while the TV's on, his wife's talking, dog's barking, all this stuff, right? There's ways for this, this tank to make accelerated learning just literally off the charts. Yeah. To answer your question then specifically what he's touching on is here's the deal. Here's the fact. Here's the neuro facts. If, you're, if your bedroom has a TV in it, has a router in it, your phone is close to your head. You're, you're, you're constantly kicking the sheets off because you're not regulating temperature. Your room's not blacked out. There's noises. If your alarm clock is shining a light or the little light that's on your router, is, your body is processing that data. Fact. It's not like, oh, well, I just can't sanitize your room. Like my room is a dresser and it's a bed. My phone is away seven feet away from me. It's used as an alarm clock because, again, we know this from the data that the research that John Sullivan has done. If that phone is in close proximity to your brain, your brain is, is beginning, it's being inhibited in, in which to receive or get into REM sleep. It, it's disruptive. Okay. Lights are disruptive. Blue light specifically is disruptive. If you have blue light emitting in your room, which is a light, it's being admitted in your emitted in your room, which is why alarm clocks typically are red. So they're not blue light being emitted. I mean, there's, Again, not by chance. All these things, like he's saying, if you're asleep and your curtains are open and the street light is coming in, your body is managing that light, right? How many times we woke up in a state of grogginess, you're like, oh, God, the TV's on, right? You're in that concept. I think the TV was on in this dream state. Our body is giving us signs to turn that crap off. You know, it's, it's just the way if routers in your room constantly putting out microwaves, it is affecting your brain, your, your delta patterns in your brain. Fact. I mean, so everyone's going, well, crap, I've got all this. I need my – no, you don't. You don't need a TV <laughs> in your room. You don't need your phone next to your head because you don't need to update your Facebook status at 3 o'clock in the morning when you get up to pee. Like, get rid of it. You know, so it, we all want – here's the deal. is What we always find is he and I got to the point we were – our body was failing. We had to remove these things to get to where we're at now. Okay. 
But the thing is, is people are like, well, I need my phone here, this, that, and the other. And they're just like, well, I'll get my four hours of sleep. I, we pretty much made our point, I suppose. Anyway, so. <laughs> I was just laughing because, I mean, I'm saying amen in my head. And we've had so many other people on the podcast say similar things. So it's always good to hear, you know, more of this, you know, I guess hammering in that same point. Right. So, all right, guys. So this has been awesome. Before we let you go, um, tell our listeners where they can find more of you. Pretty easy to track down, I guess, is our business is uh, Virginia High Performance on Facebook, Instagram as well. If you go to our website, www.virginiahp.com, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever it may be, our website will lead you to our email, the business email. Um, if we don't get back to you right away, uh, we're probably traveling or busy on the floor, but we're pretty good about getting back to people. If you have some really heavy in-depth questions, probably best, you know, we'll make contact with you and probably end up having to call you or something. But, uh, uh, yeah, feel free to reach it, reach out to us either way. That works fine. Website, right. email, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it may be. We'll put all those on the uh, um, show notes on OptimalPerformance.com. So if anybody's wondering, you don't have to remember that, just go to OptimalPerformance.com. Watch the video version of this, and, and we'll have all those links for you guys. All right, Alex and Jeff, before we let you go, your top three tips to live optimal. If you guys want to split it up, you can. If you want to go three each, you can do it that way too. Number one for me is sleep. Same for me. (laughs) Get good quality sleep because it is the essence of life. I mean, if you sleep good, your your day is just better. And I know that from experience because I didn't sleep for a very long time. Okay. Yeah, I, I, my, my, I think my second one would be, my, my, I was a strength coach at university at Troy University before I came in the Navy. So my, I had an interesting background in terms of like a perspective. I think as an exercise physiologist and biomechanist. Now getting out, it's like we, we, we want to sleep primarily above all else. Okay. The second thing I would say is that we put too much emphasis on an exercise, like just let's like back squat, like. And throw some weight on there and do it arbitrarily. Understand that the, the the poorer the biomechanics that we are, that we have in those exercises, the more nervous system stress we put on our body beyond the normal limits of just doing the exercise. So I always tell my athletes, you roll a turd in sugar, it's still a turd. Okay. What you get out of it, right? Especially high sport, if it if you want something done at a very finite level on the field. And you come in here and put a stress, again, physics, force equals mass times acceleration, a higher stress because of the higher mass and the demand. If it's done poorly, it's going to affect you negatively, right? Just because you can back, you can deadlift 400 pounds like crap, I promise you it's not going to help you when you encounter that stress under fatigue on a football field. So anything we're doing, especially in this environment, a training environment, do it really, really well. Crap is crap. So that's my thing. When you train, train really efficiently. Don't do it arbitrarily. That's probably number two for me. Yep. I'm on board exactly with what Jeff said. and That's our principles and philosophies here at BHP. And and the last one that I live by is is recover as soon as you're done with your workout. Yeah. So put put as much, again, same thing as not not by, again, this isn't scripted, but (laughs) Not by chance, 
If we can put as much emphasis in our recovery, whatever that means, and we that's our job to define that for individual athlete. If we can put as help you put as much emphasis in your recovery as you we do as our training, because so many people are so good at getting to the gym every day or getting to the pool every day or getting on the bike or the road every day. We're really, really good at that. But then once we're done, we just cut ties with it and think that there's no residual. Now, but the beauty is with recovery is we don't need to spend an hour a day doing it, right? You don't need to oh, go for an hour run and spend an hour on a foam roller. Great. If you had time to do that, great. But that's, that's the beauty of the nervous system is it recovers so quickly. If you're given the right modalities, you're given the right stimulus. So put as much emphasis, not time, as much heart and emphasis in doing it properly recovery. If you're using the Normatec recovery system or two times you compression garments or the right supplements or whatever it is, right, the right stretching protocol, if you start using those modalities correctly, you will get a vast improvement in your recovery time. So that put a lot of emphasis, not time, emphasis in your recovery. Don't waste time. It was the, it was the quickest way we found when we were still in the military to get performance out of that top 1% of, of individuals that are at the top of their game. Right, we didn't get vast increases in those guys across the board until we made recovery basically mandatory for them. Then it happened. Performance happened. Awesome, awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for sharing everything that you talked about with us today, and, and of course, thank you guys for for all the sacrifices that you made for for us um, with your service. Um, that's it. Listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you head over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and go to OptimalPerformance.com so you can see the video version of this, get links, show notes, all the cool stuff that these guys shared with us today. And we will see you next Thursday. Thanks, Ryan. See you. Start optimizing your mental and physical performance. Optimize yourself.